Alright, we're in Acts chapter 6. We're going to see the next wave of oppression coming against this new church. Uh, this is something from within. I mean, we could, we, we could call this oppression. We may, I mean, we, it may just be people being people. You get enough people together, eventually somebody's going to take offense to somebody else with a wrong glance or a misspoken word or whatever whatever it may be. Uh, but anyway, it's, a, it's an important event here we're going to see in the structure of the church, how the church is structured to this very day. This is, <clears throat> remember, at this point, there's really only the apostles. Or, and then there's everybody else. <clears throat> and so there's really not a lot of structure yet. And there's really, not, there's just uh, doctrine and practice. And mainly their practice is prayer and preaching of the word. And so we're still very early on in the church here. So we're going to get to see <clears throat> how the apostles handle this little bit of dissension here. There's going to be some grumbling. So, so this chapter is basically about handling dissension in the church. And we get to see how this, this first thing pops up and how the apostles handle this. And remember a couple of chapters ago, we were talking about the unity in the church. And what was that word we used to about their unity? There was no severance in the church up until now <clears throat> and so let's read it see what happens and then we'll talk about it Acts chapter 6 verse 1 well let's let's, let's make a run and start at it let's go back to chapter 5 verse 40 this is after the apostles have been questioned <clears throat> and then Peter gives them the basically gives them the gospel to the to the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel makes his plea to them not to kill these men. He's very uh, pragmatic plea, basically. He's not believing that Jesus is Messiah. He's just saying, let's not be too hasty here. Let's wait and see what happens. And so they it was, we'll take it up in verse forty. So they took his advice. That's Gamaliel. They took Gamaliel's advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And then we see the result. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicodor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And we see a result. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And then they had this. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So let's talk about that. What happens here? Um, so there's some dissension going on here. Some murmuring in the church. The church is divided. There's two groups now. There's not one church. There's two churches. Kind of in, in essentially, there's the Hellenistic Jews and the um, the native Jews. So what does that mean? What are they talking about there? Yeah. So there's they're all Jews. Let's just be clear on that. There's only Jews here, but there's. There's Jews who grew up and live in Judea. They're the they would be the majority here. They speak Aramaic. That's the, uh, the common you know tongue that most people would speak. And then you have the Hellenistic Jews who all speak Koine Greek. They're not from Judea. They've grown up other places, but they but they're now in Jerusalem. And so Koine Greek was the word, was the language of the Roman Empire. But in the province of Judea, most everybody spoke Aramaic. Hebrew was, it was kind of like the formal language for, for uh, scholarship and uh, service in the temple, stuff like that. Okay, but the main two languages you're talking about here are Greek and Aramaic. With the Aramaic would have been majority and with the Hellenistic Jews being the minority that, that Hellenistic that just comes from Helen of Troy that's what that that's why they call them Hellenistic because Helen of Troy had such a huge influence on the Greek world but uh, <clears throat> so we're going to see some, some principles here well, I thought there was Gentiles too like that was where the confusion not at this point it's all Jews They haven't really left Jerusalem. The church, we got the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Well, we got right, right on, and then I was like, ah. yeah, that's coming. But right now, it's First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. But there are two kind of two factions. That's a good word for what we got here. We got two factions, not two churches, but two factions within this church. You got the Greek-speaking minority and the Aramaic-speaking majority. So the first thing we're going to see here is that when there's life, there's growth. So we keep seeing the church, each step in this progression, the church is growing. There's 120, then there's 3,000, then there's 5,000, and pretty soon we're going to see there's 10,000. Because the church is healthy. This is a healthy church. We've, we've seen it up to this point. You know, they're, they're, they're united in their love of Christ. 
they're united in Christ. They're loving each other. They have great power, great grace, great unity. And so they're growing fast. And so, you know, I can remember when I was young growing up, I hated growing pains. I had them horribly when I was, you know, 12, 13. Um, with fast growth, and, and just know this, you know, we don't make anything grow. Whether you plant something in the ground or our church, God gives the growth. We just give a healthy atmosphere. We give, we faithful in God forms the church as the way he wants it to be. But with fast <coughs> increase comes, you know, growing pains. And I think this would be very, very practical for us today in this church as we seem to be growing and not, you know, I would say exponentially, but at a pretty, pretty fair, steady rate. We, there's new people coming pretty regularly. That's, that's awesome. But we, we need to be, you know, this, this chapter is to be very instructive for us, the way they handle this. Because with growth, you're going to have growing pains. There's going to be problems. When you get too many people together, people are people. You know, so, so with, with life comes growth and with growth comes growing pains. So let's, let's go back, back to chapter verse one. So now at the time, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, there's our growth. A complaint rose among, a complaint rose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Because their widows are being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So there's the growing pains. Okay. Let me read this quote from our book real quick. I got a couple of good ones here. This is a little story about a church in Dallas. It's the very beginning of this chapter. It's called Maintaining the Ministry, which is what they're doing here. They're preserving the ministry of the church. So it says this, When a certain Dallas church decided to split, each faction filed a lawsuit to claim the church property. A judge finally referred the matter to the higher authorities in that particular denomination. A church court assembled to hear both sides of the case and awarded the church property to one of the two factions. The losers withdrew and formed another church in the area. During the hearing, the church courts learned that the conflict had all begun at a church dinner where a certain elder received a smaller slice of ham than a child seated next to him. Sadly, this was reported in the newspapers for everyone to read. Just imagine how the people of Dallas laughed about that situation. This brought great discredit, and not, not only to the church, but to Jesus. So the tiniest event sometimes can cause great problems. Again and again, a church has warded off a frontal attack only to be subverted, with, be subverted from within. Countless works for God have been destroyed in this way. God blesses the work. Souls come to Christ. The church reaches its community. Missionaries are sent out. 
If someone complains that he or she is not appreciated or is not or is being neglected, perhaps this comes in the form of a critical glance, a name forgotten, a social gaffe, or some imagined offense. Bitter dissension ignites and spreads, and the whole work goes up in flames. So that could have happened here. I mean, if it wasn't handled correctly. It's happened many, many times. So <clears throat> there we see here we've got some, we've got a very lively, healthy church, and they're growing and there's some growing pains. We got these two factions rise up, and the, these uh, Greek-speaking Jews are like, "Hey, look! When the food or the the resources are being handed out, our their widows are being served first, and we're just kind of getting the leftovers. You know, or, or, or we're we're getting we're just not being treated the same. There's partiality going on. They're being partial to the to the hometown to the hometown widows, basically." And uh, Dr. Dyke made a big point of explaining this widow thing, this, this ministry. These widows we're talking about would have been the widows, you know, a lot of widows would have been, their, their husbands would have left them uh, a means to support themselves, right? And or some of them would have adult children that would take them into their home to care for them, but some would have been, if they had no means of support once their husband passed, well then they're just, I mean they have no, they have no recourse. There was no welfare in, in first century Israel. If you didn't have some means of support, you were just, you know, you were begging on the street basically or whatever you had to do to try to make it so that's what so the church was was very intentional about this none of our people none of our widows are going to have to live this way and so um, these these Greek speakers just just rose this this problem hey look we're being there's some partiality going on here this is a problem. So everybody's mumbling now, right? And that's not good. <clears throat> and so in verse 2, it says, Though the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven good men, or seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we may put in charge of this task. So the next thing we see is if where there's problems, God will provide a solution. There's always a solution to any problem in the church. If we'll just follow the principles laid out in Scripture, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and put our put our selfish needs aside and, and think in the terms of the church. So there's always a, there's a there's always a solution to any problem. And so what do we see? We see so the disciples gave them two things. They says it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Uh, that word tables, you know, I'm not sure how to think about this. I want to think of, you know, somebody bringing food to a table like a waiter. 
and that, all these widows sitting in this big room and these and the apostles are out there bringing them food out of the kitchen. I don't think that's right. Um, this word tables is the same word used to describe like when Matthew was a tax collector when he would when he was when he would said he left his table, it's that same word. It's like a table where resources would be gathered and then distributed. So I, I think that's a more accurate depiction of what's happening here. But, um, they're saying it's not good for us to sit at this table all day receiving stuff and then handing it out to the widows. Whatever it may be, food, money, just resources. Because we have a more important job to do here, and that's prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the most important thing. So they're like, it's not good for us to be taking all this time because the congregation's getting so large now. You know, there's thousands of people in this congregation. So imagine how much time this takes, you know, just to handle all these resources that are being gathered and distributed. <clears throat> so they have, so they give the the uh, solution here, brethren. Select from among you seven men of good reputation, and here's what they have to be: full of spirit and full of wisdom, whom we, whom we may put in charge of this task. So that's the two uh, kind of stipulations they put: these men must be walking in the spirit. That's what that means: full of spirit. These are walking in the spirit. They're, they're exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. That's what that means. It doesn't mean how you know how great your gift is. It's, are you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? And then do they exhibit wisdom, which is the ability to take the truths that you've learned from Scripture and apply them to everyday practical situations. We need, we need men with wisdom that can handle this duty in a godly way. They're going to be non-partial and they're going to they're just going to handle this in, in with wisdom. And we may put in charge of this task. And so there was a danger here to the apostles. Um, there was two kind of two ways to go wrong here. They could have just said, well we'll just do it ourselves. Because we don't want to be accused of being above service, you know. You, you don't want you don't want that grumbling to start. Everybody talking about, well, I mean, these guys are too good to, or are they won't, you know, they they just they're going to do it themselves and they neglect the their real job, which is prayer and study and teaching. Because remember, at this time. There is no New Testament, so just imagine, I just imagine these apostles pouring over the, the scriptures, the prophets, and the law, day after day, going back and rereading all this stuff in light of the new knowledge they have of, the, of what's happened, Christ's ministry, his death and resurrection and ascension. So now they're seeing all these Old Testament scriptures in this new light. So I just would imagine they're pouring over that constantly, going back and looking at the old prophecies seeing how they apply. How does Jesus fulfill this? And then they're relating that to the church. And so all this doctrine is being established right now. And so they're just like, we don't have time for this. And so instead of hurting the ministry, they said, we're going to have to give this to someone else. Now, the other danger was 
Um, I gotta look at my back of my lip check. Okay, so it says, waiting on tables would have left the apostles little time for anything or anyone else. The apostles would have dried up spiritually under the pressure of serving meals, plus all the counseling and preaching, with little time for preparation and prayer. Furthermore, if the apostles had agreed to personally run the food program, others might have hesitated to perform the slightest ministry without apostolic direction. That would have fostered the over-dependence we sometimes see today with followers afraid to tie their own shoes without getting permission from the pastor. And then this statement is what I was looking for. Delegation is at the heart of developing followers. So the apostles did this in a very wise manner. Instead of just taking it on themselves and hurting the ministry, they delegated this to Sabine. And notice how they did it. They didn't say, we're going to pick these men. They said, you pick the men. And bring them to us, and then we'll put them in charge of this. So it was a, it was an elegant solution. It was a wise solution, and the way they carried it out was was very was very very well done. Right? They 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 struck that balance just right. And so uh, we see that the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they were all like, yeah, that's a good plan. Let's, let's do that. Let's assign some men, well-respected men from within the church, and they'll handle this this, uh, this duty. And so they chose Stephen. You notice Stephen's the only one they kind of give some descriptors to here, and that's because, you know, Stephen's sitting in the play. All this coming up is all about Stephen. You notice how they introduced Barnabas? Before Ananias and Sapphira, <clears throat> they like, named him out, and now they're fixing to name out Stephen. It's almost like they're leading up to the final one that we're going to hear about, which is Paul. Yep, that's coming. But Stephen is seems to be really the focus here, so they they give him some descriptors. He's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Philip also is. We'll see him later. I think in chapter eight. Um, but the rest of these guys, were, they're, they're never heard from again. But we're, you know, they're they're important, or they wouldn't be here. They just serve the church. So there's Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, who is a proselyte from Antioch. So I guess you could say Nicholas was a Gentile, but he was a convert to Judaism, so he was of the circumcision. Um, he was a Gentile convert, so I guess you know technically you could say there might have been some Gentiles in there, but they were all of the circumcision up to this point. So they picked these seven men, and so why seven? You think why seven? My question is, what, did, what were they picked to actually do? We're sitting there saying, you know, like they're serving food or any of that. But when you go on to read what Stephen was doing, he was actually preaching and healing just as Philip. They were actually doing what the apostles were doing. So 
wasn't that they it was growing so much that they needed more help to do what they were doing they couldn't quite handle it so that's where i'm i don't I'm, i haven't read anywhere that they were doing serving types of there was plenty of, of people that would be able to take food to the the hungry and things like that the the apostles it sounds like the amount of people who were who were being saved and coming to Christ at that time, they needed more help to spread out. I'm not sure because you're right. We do see Stephen right. doing more than just yeah. Doing, he's, but here's what I'm gonna. He gets killed. Here's why I'm yeah. asking about the seven. Why do we think they pick? They the apostles said pick seven men. Anybody got an idea why that? I mean, nobody knows for sure. I'm just. This is what some commentators have said. Or completeness. Seven days of the week. It was a daily distribution. There's seven days of the week. So they would need seven men, one for each day of the week. What it seems like, that's a plausible. That's what I think. That's what I would so I'm imagining the situation. People are hand people are handling this duty day to day. But they're not I don't think this is the apostles not be doing this. You know, they're they're devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But somebody's doing it. And now there's a problem. Because whoever's doing it, it's not they're not being fair with the distribution. They're favoring the hometowns. And they bring this to the apostles. And the apostles say, okay. So we need to have a, a men of, who officially occupy this office. This is, these are deacons, okay? These are, are the prototype of the deacons we have in the church today. They're servants of the church. And so... It would make sense to me that they said pick seven because they need one man for each day of the week to sit at this table. And as people bring stuff, he collects it. And then as widows come, he hands it back out. And he can do this in a fair and equitable manner. Might be being over it because that, that's where I'm, I'm trying to get and understand because that's not what their description of what they start doing is. They, they start performing the wonders Stephen does and so does Philip yeah the rest of them we don't hear from but here's what I'm saying though if they're only they're only called to, to fill this role one one day of the week and they're not doing this 24 you know all day every day like a job we would be thinking of like like we do we go to work we're there all day every day if this is correct that they pick seven because they need one for each day of the week to oversee this ministry of the widows well, that leaves them six days of the week to do other things. I'm sure the apostles are not the only ones sharing Christ in Jerusalem. I mean, I'm sure a lot of believers are all the time talking to their family and friends and people. Hey, have you heard about this this new thing that Jesus is the Christ? This Jesus that was crucified, he he rose again, and he's he's now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think about that, the, you know, what did Jesus do? Well, he did feed, he did heal. And that's what we hear that the, the apostles were doing, is healing. But then what did Jesus do? So much more. And so to me, to me, yes, they were doing some of this logistics deal, maybe, you know, assigned one day a week. But they were doing so much more, as it seems like when we read about Stephen, how huge he became in 
I think about, I think it's in, uh, or down in 1 Peter 3, 8. Uh, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. And so to me, as they grew in, in bringing people back and, and being in unity, all of these wonderful things, uh, just awesome and uh and so you know when when you think oh i'm just being a, a, a table servant or i'm just being the one that, that keeps track of people's garments um, i don't think that's what this okay so if if i if i'm the one over a project and i have i've got this bridge to build let's just go with that when it's all said and done, my name was at the top, and I am known, hey, Paul built that bridge, but did I physically go out and build this bridge and everything? No, I oversaw all of these things. So when you have so many people that are being converts, you need help in a more of a management role. To do that, you must have the, the, the same stuff that the apostles were having. They laid upon their hands, and then you, we have an example of Stephen. He's preaching. He's doing those things that the apostles were doing. So, yes, when you say, hey, we've got so many people going on, I can only oversee this much distribution of the word, of everything. I can only go over this much. You need more help to do that. I think what they were being called to do is feel more of that leadership management role and that involves preaching and healing and all of that which is what the okay well what you're doing is jumping ahead over to us you're you're, you're into the next section of scripture sorry no, really? sorry what we're trying to discern here is just this is well, an event that happened that, that we're that we're talking about hey we've got seven table services that, i don't believe that's that's accurate that may not be. You don't be. have somebody sitting at a table going, take this in, going, you have somebody that is a manager over them, and they have multiple, because one person's not going to be able to distribute to. Well, you, you could be right. I mean, I'm not saying they were restricted to the only they could touch the resources. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm saying they were, each one of these was in charge. Like, Monday was Stevens Day. On Monday, Stevens in charge. Of the resources. Now, I'm not saying he he has to handle everything, but he's in charge of it. He's over the table. He probably has several people helping him to stack that over there. You put put that in that corner. Oh, that's food. It yeah. goes in this room over here. I mean, okay. I, I oh, she needs something. Can you give her some bread? You know. In the in the Old Testament, the management of the Levites that that was like that. You were assigned your day, and then you know this whole team, just like both of you are saying, was working on on the whole project. I think you're losing sight of the purpose. For real example, what I, my job, what I do, I have to have, like, I'm a chef, and all these other people are working. I say, you go do this, you go do that, you go do this. And I'm right here. I'm going to be cooking. And they're distributing the food. I, I think we're, missing, we're losing sight of the point of this passage. Point of the passage is there was a problem in the church from from growth. They had some growing pains. There's some murmuring. 
So the people came to the apostles and said, hey, this is happening. There's some, there's some stuff going on at the, with the widows. It's not equitable. And the apostles come up with a solution. We're going to put some structure in the church. That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing structure added to the church. That's the whole point of this. Okay? The apostles are saying, it's not good for us to wait at tables. That's not saying they were doing it before, but they're saying, if we're going to fix this problem with the widows, we are not able, we don't have time to do this. So we're going to, we're going to delegate authority to seven men. And they're going to run this ministry. So we're going to call this a ministry. It's the widows, the ministry of the widows. They're saying, our ministry is prayer and preparation and preaching of the word. We're going to delegate some authority to seven men who y'all are going to choose, not us, y'all. They're going to choose seven men. And we are going to put them in charge of this. So that's what's happening. There's a problem, and it's being addressed equitably and wise and faithfully. And it solves the problem. Just notice something else about these seven men. Look at their names. They're all Hellenistic names. They're all Greek. So it appears as if the church all looked at each other and said, you know what we're going to do to nip this in the bud right now? You Hellenistic Jews, pick your seven. Which gets back to my point of there would be more of the apostle role that they be feeling for the elements. That group that feels neglected. There's probably more than just neglect for food and distribution. I just don't want the role of what they were, because it wouldn't, it makes it hard to, to understand, okay, then, then why when it's coming up, why is Stephen going to get killed? Why is Stephen preaching if he's supposed to be over there distributing things out? That puts more in line from this point. We're saying, wait a minute. He wasn't serving from a table. He wasn't serving tables. He wasn't. That he was in a role as an apostle to be over all of these things. I want to be careful with that word apostle. These men are not being made apostles. We, we had a big like, talk about this earlier. Filling a role that they would be doing. They're giving getting responsibility. They're being given a role of deacon here. <laughs> this is our first look at what a deacon. Some role, official role in the church, other than apostle. So these men are not apostles. I, I agree, but they are doing that work. Yes. So we we had a big talk about this recently about the role of deacon. Our church is looking at. Uh, ordaining some deacons. And we talked about this at length. <clears throat> and the big difference we see here, now, yes, Stephen, he goes out and he gets in trouble. He's being accused of blasphemy because he's speaking Christ out there in the streets. Okay, but As far as his, his ordained position in the church at this point is not an apostle, it's a servant. That's what deacon means, it's a servant. They're being charged with this job of making sure this food is distributed in an equal manner where nobody's being uh, favored over somebody else. And that's not to say you have to sit at this table every day and you don't get to do anything else. That's not, that's not the case. 
Now, why does Stephen go out and do what he does? Well, I don't know, because he's full of the Spirit and he's just he's sharing. We don't know. We don't know. But he's he's the focus of this section of Scripture. But this little section here, after we see how they handle this, you know, they pick Greek Jews to do this. The church picks these seven men. They're all Greeks. I mean, that's that's great. That really surprised me when I learned that all these these are all Hellenistic names. They picked all from the minority to fill this role. And you got one proselyte. And a proselyte, yeah. And they to smooth this over, you know, they're 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 trying to preserve their their testimony in front of Jerusalem because Jerusalem sees this dissension in the church. That's not good for the, for the testimony of the church. Gentile converted to Judaism. Yep. Yeah, that's Nicholas. And I'm not sure, but I think that might be St. Nicholas, the St. Nicholas. Is that uh, him? I'm pretty sure this is, this is the guy that ended up bringing a lot of heresies later. He's is a it? church father, or they wrote about him, and I think this was him. Nicholas. St. Nicholas? Not St. Nicholas. I don't know. I, I, the, Nicolai, the, the Nicolaitans? Yeah. You think that's the same one? I think it's him. That's my opinion. Okay, so our last, our last little principle here is... When we have solutions, we see more growth. So we see that in chapter uh, verse 7. It says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Well, that's a big deal. Um, and I can just imagine a lot of these priests were probably in, the, may have been in the, you know, there's hundreds of these people. There's hundreds of priests serving in the temple, right? And uh, I can just imagine some of these may have been in the temple the day Jesus was crucified and the, and the veil was ripped in half. I would imagine some of these men saw that or at least heard about it from eyewitnesses, first-hand eyewitnesses about it. And so, yeah, they were, probably would have heard Jesus preaching in the temple before he was killed. They, they saw the events on the day of his crucifixion, the, the rending of the, of the veil, and the earthquakes and the sun being darkened for all those hours during the middle of the day, they've heard the preaching of the apostles afterwards. So, yeah, I can imagine a lot of them were coming to faith and said, yes, we, we do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We, we, we think we, we missed it as the, as the, uh, as the Levites. We, we killed the Messiah. A lot of, so it says there, a lot of them were coming obedient to the faith. They were coming to faith in Jesus, which is beautiful. Judy, what was your reference a while ago? First Peter what? Three eight. I I thought it was interesting that we've been going from one jealousy story to another because pretty much Ananias and Spira they they were really eat up with jealousy that Barnabas got all this singing praise and and they wanted it and then we move in to where we hear about the high priest. And they were enraged with jealousy. And then here we are with the Hellenists, and now they're all bent out of shape and jealous because somebody's getting more than they are. And then what do we find out about Paul, Saul? You know, what, what was his real problem? There's a lot of chatter that he was just so upset that 
Stephen had way more going on for him than Paul or Saul because look what he did. He just had to take care of people's coats. Like, that's how much they cared about him. And here he is. He's this high and mighty student of Gamaliel. And, you know, I mean, you just, it's to me that, that there's the ways of dealing with this horrible sin of envy and jealousy. And, and what a, a great glimpse to see a better way to deal with that in this story we're reading today. And how when, you know, you you follow the the words in First Peter, you know, that humility to to do whatever God requires of you, um, even if it is helping people get something to eat, that you know, you can become such a mighty witness as Stephen did for the Lord. And speaking of others, it's better than yourself. At work, we just have this big, huge, whatever, and it's all addictive. It's about me, it's all me, 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 me. You know, if you would treat others with respect and the way you'd want to be treated, why not? Yeah, you can, you can see how the story has changed as we've progressed through the chapters. You know, with this um, big, big, good, good, great things, and then we start seeing some, well, people shining through. Because you got to remember, these are people. They're, even though they're first century Jews, they're still people. They still have jealousy and selfishness, just like we do. I think the point here is showing that whatever happens, well, and I think it's like it's, it's overcome, and they and they st- and the church continues to grow. They, they're, they're, they're walking in the spirit. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Like with Stephen and all of them, kind of like counselors. And so with widows, obviously they do not have family that can take them in, or a husband. And so I know when I start getting jealous and getting worked up, I've got my crew here to keep me in check. <laughs> And so it's like they didn't have that. So I see them as counselors as well. Um, when you're not invited to those social events, if you would have been like, with your husband um, and things like that. So, yeah, it's kind of like the, the, like the ministry to the widows. It would be more than just handing them food. I mean, it would be, I mean, this is a church. Remember, right. these are they're loving on each other. They're helping each other. They're edifying each other. But we, we skip verse 6. It says, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, we would see that as ordination. An ordination. This is like the first time we see in the New Testament church someone being ordained. And the, or, the understanding I have of ordination is you're, you're, giving, you're passing authority from a previously ordained officer of the church into this new man being raised into an office of but let's just be very clear. They are not being made apostles. They're being made what we would call deacons, which are really the, the deacon means servant. And I was just thinking about the widow thing. So, you know, pretty much I, I, I'm sure like somebody to uh, give me more just than a bowl of soup. I, I want somebody to... <laughs> To, to talk and I want you to be able to listen to me because 
I need to share my thoughts so that I know if I'm on the wrong track, how are you going to know? How am I going to know if I can't even tell you, hey, this is what I'm thinking? And, and so I certainly see that as maybe, you know, even Stephen sat down with some of these widows and listened to them. And, I mean, these were not just, they were there because they believed in Jesus. They had repented of their sin. They weren't, you know, and, and they wanted to know who he was. And they shared, you know, Stephen listened and he built his his understanding of how great is our God. Yeah, well, let's just remember now the picture we have in the church up to this point. Great grace, great unity, great faith, right? They're, they have, they're loving one another. They're taking care of one another. They're, take, they're looking after one another. Now, this little section doesn't mean that has come to an end, okay? There's still a loving body of believers. They're just, there's this one little thing that come up with about widows. And so the, the apostle said, we're going to nip this in the bud right now. Give us seven men we can put in charge of this. And there were, in that way, they have authority to make the decisions here. That's that's what we're seeing. Okay? They're still, it's not like nobody's, you know, walking and talking with the widows. Which is, there's a problem with the distribution. We need somebody in charge of it. There's still a, this, this, the church hasn't just suddenly fallen apart here. So let's just keep that picture in mind. We have a great, living, growing church, but there's this little dissension that's arisen, and they need to address this before it hurts the testimony of the church. Yeah, in James chapter 1 also, it says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to cleanse it orphans and widows of yep. and keep oneself in his body from the world. And we're also introducing Stephen here, too. Because we're facing to see a lot of Stephen. It's just, he's the focus of the next several passages here. He's about to give us a very uh, well, well, it's the longest like, condensed version of the Old Testament. He's going to give us like the, remember the, what they call those, those condensed books he used to get? What were those things called? Reader's Digest. Condensed books. Well, we're going to get a Reader's Digest condensed book of the Old Testament from Stephen's. Anyway, let's uh, let's get out of here. We're late. Let's pray. Uh, Shame, you pray? Amen.